1999, the Knicks, with the 15th 1-5 pick in the NBA draft, selected Frederick Weiss, a seven foot two inch center from France. Um, I will tell you that that was a disastrous pick. Just, just let me let me tell you the ways that the Knicks whiffed on that. And by the way, he became sort of the first posterized person in all time as one of the greatest dunks in history was done over his head. I mentioned that, Dan, because tonight, that was Vince Carter, by the way. Yeah. Tonight, uh, the San Antonio Spurs are going to pick an equally tall uh, player from France, Wembeyana, who is an absolute, I mean, I've watched tape on this guy. It's ridiculous what he does. Now you're saying, what are you, out of your freaking mind? This isn't the ESPN. Nope. No, it's not. Tough shit. But this is Market Call. It's 1 p.m. on the East Coast. I'm Guy Adami. That's Dan Nathan. Uh, in just a few minutes, Elizabeth Young from SoFi will be joining us. Do we have butters today? I hope we do. We have butters. We day have butters. without butters is like a day without sunshine. He's actually, butters. He's got some. He's got some really good stuff here. Um, you know, butters obviously spends a lot of time tracking what a lot of the companies in the S and P 500 are doing and saying, and how it relates to other periods of time here. He's got a, a really interesting data set that we're going to hit on today that we don't spend a lot of time talking about. It'll be great to get Liz's take also on data that guy. set. What, what did I say to you yesterday? Well, hold on. Before we, we have to just say today's market yeah. call, of course, is brought to you by SoFi, Dan. Oh, yeah. Get your money right all in one app. And of course, our data provider and our sponsor is FactSet Financial Data and Analytics Powered by tomorrow. Now, please continue. I apologize. What did you say to me yesterday? Oh, we were talking yesterday that we, it was like the third consecutive down day. The NASDAQ was down 1% yesterday. The, the S&P was down far less. I don't think either one of us was particularly excited about like what we thought would be a follow through. You know why? Because, you know, like we are back in that sort of um, buy the sort of dip mentality. And it's just kind of interesting today when you see, you know, the NASDAQ 100, it's up 50 bips, a half a percent here. And the S&P, you know, is flattish. And we're seeing this kind of ping pong um, sort of action, you know, like crude oil, we're going to hit that maybe a little later. It's down nearly 5% today, guys. You know, the money center banks are down over 1% um, across the board here. But then you have, you know, a stock like Amazon up 3% because they're making some announcement in AI. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it just like seems like we're in this bit of a, a back and forth, a little like, like rotation. Sooner or later... I think you'll see correlations go higher, especially when you have a VIX that just, you know, on a day like yesterday where you would have thought the VIX or the VIX N that tracks the NASDAQ, you would have thought that would have been up, right? On a day where you saw semis getting hit really hard, Tesla down, you know, three, 4% or something like that. And they just weren't, you know, people just don't seem particularly bothered right here. It's interesting. Sorry about this, Dan. Uh, Doug Cass just texted me or uh, what do they call it when you slide into somebody's DM? Slid into your DMs. They call it that. Yeah. That's un that's unfortunate. That's just an awkward word. But he said, trivia question, who was the first pick in that draft? And actually, I knew because it was Elton Brand. The only reason I knew that, because Elton Brand, Dan, as you know, grew up in Peekskill, New York, yep. which was the next town over for me in Croton-on-the-Hudson. And he was actually friends with my little sister. I got to know Elton back in the day. He went on to play at Duke University. A lot of people think he might be the best player out of Duke. 
I'd give a little bit of pushback there. Please continue, Dan. Sorry. No, I, I just think that, you know, it's funny that the market <clears throat> is grinding here. You know, yeah. let's throw up the S&P 500 chart um, for a second. You know, it had that breakout that August high was it was the level. You know, Carter kind of made a great point yesterday when he's on market call with us that, you know, it really is that kind of cluster from that February 2nd. I mean, that's probably where we're going back to. You see that 200 day. It seems so lonely, guy, all the way down there, um, you know, in and around. <laughs> Uh, 4,000 or so. But if you were to draw that uptrend line, you know, from the October lows, that's where it gets. Listen, I just think there's a really good chance of that. Now, you might in the comments, and just so you know, people who are participating today, my daughter Alex was in, or one of my daughters, both of my daughters, Alex, were in yesterday. Um, and Alex was looking at the comments as we were doing our market call. And after, you know, later, later on that afternoon, she said, why does everyone like Guy Adami so much more than you? She was wondering, like, well, why no one true. likes me? That was a really awkward thing for my near. Matt, first of all, it's it's patently false. And well, let's you know, see. We'll go to the comments soon enough. We don't we don't rehearse these things. But Dan mentioned, oh. you know, that two hundred day moving average is so lonely. That's might be one of three police songs I have on my eight hundred and forty five song Spotify playlist. That happens to be a good song. Anyway, I digress. Yes, it is so lonely there, and we've talked about it for a while. When you get you know, these one, two standard deviations away from a moving average, especially something as big as the S&P 500, you typically mean correct. Now, look, that could take place as the, as the moving average moves higher. Obviously, that's one way this could resolve itself or it could take place with a you know, sort of a dramatic move lower. That's the way I think it's going to be reconciled. But we'll see. That's what makes markets. But here we've done the back and fill effectively back to that prior high we saw in August. We'll see what the day holds. But to your point, NASDAQ up a bit, Dow down a bit, S&P unchanged, Russell slightly lower, VIX basically unchanged, slightly higher, more of the same. But this washing machine effect that you were basically alluding to continues. And I think it's really chopping a lot of people up unless you've been sort of steadfast on one side of the boat. I will say this before we bring Elizabeth in. I think the move in the banks is interesting today. Maybe that's something to do with twos, tens going out to 1% inversion, something we've talked about for a while. I don't know, but I don't want to use the word ominous, but it's definitely something, Dan, to take a look at. Well, yeah, and you mentioned this kind of, you know, how many standard deviations away. One thing, it's, let's just pull up the NASDAQ 100 here really quickly, and you see that breakout. It was right here at 13,770-ish or so. You have that rising, um, you know, 200-day, a little bit. It's all the way down there, guy. Talk about lonely. It's all the way down there just below 13,000, but the 50 day, which we don't have up is right at that breakout level. It's, it's right at that 13,770. So listen, um, be prepared people. A check back is coming. And if you listen to Carter at all, who only focuses on the fundamental or excuse me, on the technicals is not particularly worried about the fundamentals here, you know, uncorrected moves like this are very unhealthy and they have the potential if they go on for too long to overshoot to the downside. So 50 day in the breakout level in the net in the NDX, that might be the first stop, especially if it's followed by, you know, some sort of fundamental um, data that does not particularly justify valuations and sentiment turns on a dime, which we know it can do. Guy, let's do it. This is the most exciting time of the week other than Monday morning when we get to spend our coffee time with EY from SoFi for our Monday on the tape drop. Just bring her in, dude. Check out the look she's got going. I mean, that oh, is fantastic. Geez. Dude. There she is. I'm a student. I'm a student of the markets today. Hi, everybody. That's How it. are those you? Are, what do they call those? Like cat, cat eye glasses? They're fantastic. 
Yeah, they got it's, a little wing. They got a little wing yeah, going it's on. Very, I don't I will like tell to wear you, a lot of eyeliner, so I got to use glasses for that instead. Yeah, nor nor do I. But what I will <laughs> tell you is, I think it was Yvonne DiCarlo, um, for you fans back in the day, that played Batwoman. Yeah. Um, and hmm. she had similar glasses when she was like Commissioner Gordon's daughter role. She was obviously... Oh, both- spoiler alert there, dude. Seriously. I mean, if people are coming into the... The fifties Batman here, early sixties. First of all, I mean, it wasn't the fifties. Okay, that was Just that was, it, that was a, that's a big spoiler right there. Yeah. And I gotta well, tell you, where Liz, when you grew up in Milwaukee, you know, cable TV didn't get there to like eighty nine or so. <laughs> so. You were you were probably you were probably watching those early sixties Batman you know shows on a loop there, huh? Uh, well, you know what happens when you're a kid? You watch the stuff your parents watch because that's what they put on. So my mom was really into Mash. I've seen a lot of. Mash I watch Mash episodes. every night. <laughs> Uh, I was I actually got into Carol Burnett, the Carol Burnett show. I thought it was the most hysterical thing I'd ever seen as an eight year old. <laughs> so yeah, I don't remember when cable hit Milwaukee, but I do know that the bronze Fonz remains a legend in that city. And there's a statue of him. So I'm pretty sure that there was some cable going on in my childhood. But either way, 1989, I was seven years old. I don't think I was too concerned with cable TV. <laughs> <laughs> So wait, so guy, you know, and I'm just going to read this. It's not what I'm saying or what you're saying, but in the chat here, there's a lot of hot for teacher comments, there's a lot of hot librarian comment. I mean, like, this is not me. This is not what I'm saying. This is what you're like, your fan, EY from SoFi fan. You know, and, and I appreciate that. And oh, wait a second. Told, oh, wait, only- I screwed up. Hold on. I apologize. Uh-oh. Yvonne DiCarlo was, she was. Lily Munster, I guess, on the Munster. So I apologize, but uh-huh. my bad. You see what happens when you get the mice. Please continue. Anyway, this has nothing to do with vanity. This has everything to do with my eye doctor telling me that I got to take my contacts out once in a while. <laughs> so, so here I am in glasses today. This is right. one one of the two models I have. Amanda's mad at me already. It's one ten. <laughs> um, you heard us talking about the. There's not a lot to dissect here over the last couple of days. Obviously, since Friday, Friday, Tuesday. Wednesday today, see what happens. But you've had three days in a row. But let's go to your note because you speak about extremes. And that was a great band, I think, in the 90s. Dan probably saw them a couple times. But let's just bring your note up and get right into it because we're at some serious market extremes here. And I think we've been saying that for a while. Yeah, well, and the theme of this note, just just so everybody knows where I get my inspo from, uh, my analyst is on jury duty this week, and he got selected as a juror, so he's out there catching the bad guys. So this whole note is a courthouse theme, because him and I are trying to work while he's sitting in the courthouse. (laughs) It's been a little tricky, but anyway, all rise. Everybody started to participate in this rally, and I wanted to take a check, especially because we're about to approach that six-month point in the year where we're going to switch over into the second half. And for whatever reason, there's psychological things that happen during that time frame. We're also going to start talking about 2024 earnings, and that's going to become the big story. But I wanted to just do a check, right? How extended have we gotten? Because what happened during this rally is you started to hear everybody get excited. It's a new bull market, blah, 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 blah. We get more and more excited about that. And then we get to the point in the last couple of weeks where you hear more and more people saying, okay, that's enough. That's a bit much. Now it's gone too far. And the big question is, how do you know? How do you know if it's gone too far? What are the extreme measures? And there's a lot of different ways to look at that. But some of the really straightforward ones, obviously, we talk about PE ratios all the time. The S&P PE ratio had been above its 10-year and 15-year average for a while but now just recently broke above its five-year average. So it's above all of the long-term averages, which is okay. That's not necessarily as extreme as it's ever been in the past, 
But I usually have to sit back and ask myself, does the environment allow it to stay there? And I still get stuck on, I don't think it does. A Fed funds rate above 5%, possibility for further tightening, liquidity draining, earnings flat year over year. It just feels like that multiple isn't sustainable. So what does that mean? It means it probably blows off some steam at some point, but that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be this huge drop downward. So then you go through some of the other metrics. And there've been really interesting things that have happened lately, aside from the fact that we've been sort of grinding sideways. There's another chart we can go to it, but it's a table, actually. I had Mario do this from the courthouse. Basically, what happens after a 15% rally that, that goes on in a really swift way? So we're defining swift by three months or less, okay? So we've got at least a 15% rally in the NASDAQ that happens over a period of three months or less. He went back all the way 1971 to present. That first column is just rolling six-month periods. So average six-month periods over that entire time frame that's what you see in returns, okay? You've got average 6.2%, minimum, so biggest drawdown about 50%, max 71.6%. Then just take out the periods that were after a swift rally. Now look, here's the takeaway. Still positive on average, right? The market still seems to do okay after swift rallies like that, but it does seem to be less than the overall average. And then look at the drawdown. The drawdown that's possible almost exactly equal to the drawdown over the whole period, and the max that's possible also has a cap on it. So this is just something to kind of put it in perspective. Does the momentum usually continue? Sure, it can, but it does usually lose some steam as you go ahead for the next six months. So, so Guy, I don't know if you got into the meat of her note, and, and it's one of the first reads that I do on every Thursday morning, whether Mario's at jury duty or not. First of all, <laughs> Mario getting picked for 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 jury duty. What, what is he like a hayseed or something like that? Like there's, there's pretty simple bullets to get out of, uh, you know. Well, jury and duty. he was an alternate. He got chosen as an alternate. He's like, I won't get chosen. This is gonna be yeah. fine. And then he's like, Oh my god, I got chosen. Well, you know, have, have have Mario give me a ring. Um, but okay. you know, guy in in the meat of her note, it was really great. So she was she was giving us some of this data. It says too far, too fast? Question mark. She goes. But how do we know for sure? That's the fun part. She goes, maybe your definition of fun is different than mine. I mean, this is what Liz is spending her time, not just thinking about titles that are going to really irk you a little bit, but she comes up with fantastic data. And then she just defines what fun is for her in a way that many of our fans probably would not agree. Yeah. And, and listen, and on a serious note, it, yeah. It's not easy to do what Elizabeth does every week. And I don't care how many people you have working with you. Um, it's it's hard to come up with ideas and to try to continue to be sort of topical and edgy and nuanced and all those things, especially given the fact that a lot of what we've been seeing over the last four or five months is a lot of repetition going on. So again, this is this is somewhat self-serving, but it also happens to be true. She does extraordinary work. So she if you're great. new to this, you should be following her at Liz Young Stratton, definitely getting her work. Dan, back to you. Sorry. Yeah. Quick, quick question for you, Liz. And, and, and it's interesting. You know, we have the benefit of talking to you twice a week on our pods. We obviously talk, um, you know, uh, throughout the week, too. And we, we follow you and we, we read your notes and stuff. It's interesting that some of the strategists um, out on the street, big investment houses, and um, mm -hmm. they're kind of quietly throwing the towel in on their cautiousness. Yeah. I don't want to use the term bearishness. You know, um, you know those those S and P earnings estimates or the valuation, the trough valuations, and this there. And and they're they're kind of doing it without saying it, based on what they think is this newfound 
AI enthusiasm that's going to start another leg of, you know, capbacks in this and that or whatever. And I think it's interesting because if you go back and look in the last 20 years or so, you know, usually bears get kind of taken out by like some phony sort of narrative or something that seems like it's going to be an inflection point for the economy. And and usually if it's already reflected in the markets, the thing that's driving you crazy and, and like allowing you to say, uncle, it's not usually the thing, you know what I mean? That makes it happen. I'm just curious, are you recognizing some of that too? And again, I say this where it's a hard job, as Guy just said, you know what I mean? And you have the benefit of you don't have to deal with a bunch of FAs or a bunch right. of, you know what I mean? This, this or whatever. Those, those, some of those strategies are getting, you've been in that seat. Um, it's oh, yeah. a hard seat, you know what I mean? When you're off sides a little bit. Yeah, I, I empathize. I sympathize with them, the ones that have to face financial advisors every day. I did it for five straight years. And they are not a forgiving crowd, <laughs> as they shouldn't be, right? They're trying to run money and and really take care of people's lives and, and well-being. So it is a tough spot to be. And I completely understand uh, that position. There are a lot of strategists out there that have softened their tone, I would say, over the last month or so. And if people have been listening to me, they'd probably say the same to me. Uh, I'm not capitulating. I'm not at a point, and even in the note today, I think the last sentence has something like, I'm still reluctant to flip into bull mode. I'm not capitulating, but I think it is important, even as strategists, even if I'm bearish for the long term, and even if I'm for this cycle, if I'm bearish, because I still think that there has to be the shakeout and and I will maintain that until there's absolutely no evidence otherwise. But the idea of moving from late cycle back into early cycle with nothing painful in between, I just, I don't think computes. So I will stay that way. But I do think it's important as strategists to sometimes look at what's coming in and look at what's going on sentiment wise and say, okay, you know what? In the short term, momentum is a really, really powerful thing. And I'm not gonna fight the tide all the time just for the purpose of fighting the tide, right? And I recognize that right now the tide is moving, or at least it was moving in an upward direction in a really strong way. It might be kind of stuck now at this level, but the reality is that it hasn't moved down in a really strong way. And I think just acknowledging that and saying, you know what, there are buyers out there, even if I'm not one of them, there are buyers out there and they must be seeing something that's getting them excited. To your point about AI, I've said this before, probably on this show and on many other shows, I think it is a theme that we can get excited about. But the thing about themes is that they usually don't execute for, let's say, two to five years. And everybody that's buying on the AI theme today may not get rewarded on that or may not be told that they're right about the certain company that they've invested in in the next six to 12 months. And if you want that kind of gratification of, OK, I got it right, you might not get it. So it's a matter of how long can you hang on to such a high valued stock without getting kind of scared out of it with bumps in the road. Elizabeth, before we get to yields, you brought another slide. The number of S&P stocks, 500 stocks above the 200-day moving average, which you hear all the time on television, but maybe you could just spend a couple, you know, 30 seconds or so explaining why this is important, because it is important. Yeah, and then this is another thing, actually, and, and some of the strategists have done the same thing. So when that line was down in the 40% range, meaning only 40% of S&P 500 companies were trading above their 200-day, I felt like, you know what, this leadership is way too narrow, it's fragile, we need to see it broaden out. And this is how you stay true to yourself as a strategist. 
then it started broadening out, right? That 40% turned into 60% pretty quickly. And another that's another thing you have to recognize. I had to recognize that the small caps were participating. Other sectors were participating. This number went up. Those are good signs. And then the question becomes, can we hang on to it? Can we go further? So we're still in a good place in the sense that more than 50% of the S&P is above its 200 days. So momentum, that tells me momentum is, is still supportive and it's moving in that direction. The reason that there's this red shaded bar on there is that's between 80 and 90%. If this were a new bull market, because if you look at bull markets of the past, in the first year of a bull market, you typically see this line between 80 and 90% mm -hmm. and hold on to that 80 and 90% level for the first year. So you want to see that line get up above 80% or at least get close to it and then hang on to it. And that starts to tell you, you know what? I can no longer make this pound the table bear case. Yeah, I think, and that's why I wanted to bring it up because you know we're still uh, we're still significantly lower than where we need to be in order for again one of these metrics to start flashing green instead of red. You know, we we you and I do a lot of time on yields. I'm sure it makes people crazy. Dan talks about it obviously as well, but two tens uh, uh, in a flash of an eye, one percent. I remember it was last week you tweeted. I think it was last week you tweeted. I think on the Fed day. Oh my God, look at this move to 94 basis points. Well, you put out a tweet today, two tens flirting with 100. It's basically there. I, again, I've had so many people text me, email me, talk to me about how it's it's not nearly as important a metric these days. I asked Steve Leisman about it last night. He wasn't dismissive. I don't want to use that word, but he said there were other yield, there were other curve, you know, inversions that were more important. This obviously is not one. I think to me, it's extraordinarily important because it speaks to exact problem that's going on. Slower growth in the back end, represented by 10-year yields, inflation being sticky as hell is manifesting itself in two. And, you know, you can say all you want, but we've been inverted now for the better part of probably 14 or so months, probably longer than that. And historically, that's not a particularly good sign. No, it's it's not a good sign. And, and you can look at the chart and see the timing of you know what it's what's happened over history. I actually am thinking about posing a question on Twitter, and it's a serious question, and I would I would pose it to everybody here too. If you're bullish long-term on the market, or if you do believe that this is a new bull market, and I'm not gonna argue, you're entitled to your opinions on that. If you do believe that, where do you see these yield curve inversions going? Where do you see yields going? And, and how do we get there in a painless way and maintain an equity bull market along that path? This is one of those things that, even if you look at the rest of the way that the equity market is trading, you look at the VIX, you look at whatever you want to look at, earnings are flat, not negative, that kind of thing. You're left with this one little piece that's the head scratcher. And it's a pretty loud signal. It, this isn't a 10 basis point inversion that's lasted for three days, right? This is, we're, we're between 80 and 100 basis points now for months, and we've been inverted for about a year. I mean, that's a meaningful signal. So the question that I continue to come back to is how do we get out of this? Because usually getting out of something this deep is not painless for the market. And I still, it's, it's tough to see the path from 100 basis points inverted back up to zero with a bull market at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we and again, you know, there's tons of data that that tracks, you know, the inversions and what it means for stocks, um, and you know what the lag is. It's like 15 months or so before we start seeing recessionary story signs. Liz, are there some sectors though? And in David Rosenberg, I quoted this uh, guy last night on Fast Money and, and from Rosenberg Research, and he mentioned that, um, you know, he was citing some data that you know stocks generally do rally 
in throughout the, the rate uh, hiking cycle. And it's not until after the cycle ends that we start seeing them come in. And that kind of corresponds with the lag effects and what it means on the economy. Are there sectors, because we just talked about the broadening out, where, again, none of us know when this inversion ends. None of us knows how important, Guy, to your point, that the, the 210 is for the S&P and for S&P earnings and, and what it means for the economy. But are there some sectors that you feel comfortable kind of hiding out in this very uncertain time, especially if you feel like some of the things that have gotten the S&P and the NASDAQ to where they are, are hitting extremes, going back to your note? Yeah. So, and I think that's what's happening to a lot of strategists and a lot of investors too, is that, okay, what if this is a new bull and I'm, and I missed it, I'm missing something. People are coming back in and saying, all right, if it is, I don't want to miss the whole thing. So what can I buy? And then you try to answer that question. Well, I don't want to buy the stuff that's up 80% year to date. That doesn't feel like the right entry point. So let me look at some other things that I could buy. If you're a value investor, you look at it and say, all right, what are the sectors that haven't quite participated so far this year that maybe aren't as overvalued? things like healthcare, right? You could even think about energy and that would be just straightforward from a hasn't participated this year kind of perspective. Then you can start thinking about some of the cyclicals, but here's the catch. If there's still a possibility, which I think there is a good possibility that we have a recession or a pullback, of course the cyclicals will get hit. The hope or the idea would be that if they haven't gone up as much as much as the rest of the market, maybe they don't have as much steam to blow off in a downturn. But if you need to dip your toes in the water right now, I think from a defensive perspective, I think healthcare is an okay place to dip your toes in the water. It's kind of boring right now, has trailed for sure year to date, but because it's trailed, maybe not as much to fall down. It's a defensive sector in the large cap space that isn't as rate sensitive. So you don't have that kind of direct volatility on it. And then, you know what? If we do have a recession and the banks get hit pretty hard in it, that's the spot that I would start to enter. And it's going to feel really uncomfortable. But that's the thing that then bounces on the other side, especially as a yield curve uninverts becomes positive and you get that NIM tailwind. So you got to think about just kind of the, the longer term. And, and in this case, the longer term might just be 12 months down the road. But the idea that, OK, if I enter today, stuff might go down before it goes back up, but maybe it doesn't go down as far as tech and some of the highly valued stuff. We're going to talk about financials. Jay Rice has a comment. It's interesting. Um, and Jay's saying trade price, never in wildest dreams would you think home builders would go up in a rising rate environment, but they are. Of course, we've been saying, you know, I'm wrong all the frigging time, but one thing we have been saying for the better part of the last year and a half is home builders were actually, um, you could play them from the long side. And if you look Pulte Homes, I mean, I don't know if we can quickly pull up a chart. I mean, Pulte Homes, all-time high. DHI, all-time high. I want to say um, Toll Brothers is probably the laggard, but my point is, you know, we've actually highlighted this, and it comes down to when Dan asked Elizabeth that question, where can you sort not hide necessarily, but there are sectors whose supply-demand fundamentals, regardless yeah. of all the bullshit going on, in other areas, still lend himself to these stocks going higher. And that's exactly what's been happening in home builders. Anyway, yeah, let's take I, a look. I, I, I want to make one point, though, about that. And I was thinking because we talked a little bit about this last night on Fast Money and we had Bill Lavornia on and, and we were talking about, you know, the last piece of the puzzle again is, is unemployment, right? And if we saw, I guess, in almost every time in the last 80 years when unemployment has risen 50 basis points off of a low, you know, a recession has followed. And, you know, the one thing I would say is that if we do see unemployment above 4%, I'm not so sure. And, and, and if we do see rates higher for longer, that you want to be entering 
new positions here, even though that the, these stocks, the, 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 the you know, are, are very cheap, the home builders. I just think that you have been on this trade and Danny Moses has been talking about it. And Liz, you've been talking about it. It's not something I know a whole heck of a lot about, but I don't think you'd want to be piling in into them here just as we're basically going to come off 70 year lows in unemployment. And you know, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's my only two cents on that, I guess. No, I think that's fair. There's going to be a point clearly where you want to pull the ripcord and you're going to be early, but it's better to be early than late, especially with these things because they do move on a dime. Let's take a look at financials because something we talked about yesterday and we're going to talk about it a little bit today, not trading particularly, again, I don't want to make a big deal out of one day, but not trading particularly well here. We can throw up a chart. I mean, the regional banks seemingly turning again. Um, I don't want to make a huge deal out of it, but you can look at it and see, you know, we had that bounce off those, May lows that makes sense. I mean, that was sort of the crescendo of the bad news. Does this concern Elizabeth you at all, or is this just sort of noise? It's. I think it's too short term to really say anything. There haven't been accompanying headlines that have. You know, the picture hasn't necessarily changed. Um, you know, there was kind of a rally. This could just be kind of a, a give back of that. But I don't know that it's over yet, right? I don't know that the the problems have been solved necessarily. And there's a lot of people out there, self-included, who have still said something's going on in the credit market. It's too quiet. Something's going to happen in the credit market. And my sense would be that banks obviously get hit by credit. So we'll see if that materializes or not. I don't know that we're going to see the same type of headline again that we saw in March, though. And especially if we continue to have fear in the markets. If fear comes back in, recession fear comes back in, right? You're going to see yields go down again and, and those types of things rally. So it, some of this is going to change that mark-to-market problem that the regional banks had. And I think we've sort of stemmed uh, the bleeding on deposits and the fear that, that occurred in March for that. So I don't think we're going to get the same set of headlines, but I don't think necessarily that the banking sector is out of the woods entirely. I'm just not entirely sure because because we know that that's an issue. That's how this always works, because we know that that's a vulnerability. Maybe it won't be the thing. Maybe it'll be the, the thing that none of us expected. It'll be an outside event. I still think it'll be a corporate event, but it'll be a completely different sector or something that that maybe is related, but that we completely didn't see coming. It's funny, you know, and I don't I don't disagree with that either. And and the longer that we've had to kind of contemplate what actually went down and the extraordinary extraordinary measures that, you know, the FDIC, the Treasury, you know, you know, everybody took to kind of make sure this wasn't a systemic sort of thing. I think if you see the KRE retesting, you know, those lows that, you know, down there near 35, you probably start dollar cost averaging all the way down towards, you know, 30, which is basically the the pandemic lows and you will find some unusual values in there another one though you know and it might be it might be to the benefit of the large money centers look at this jp morgan chart i mean it is really hard to shake a stick at this thing okay and meaning like look at this it's back up towards those um highs right before the the regional banking thing baby with the bathwater thrown out you see that uptrend it's held it like a boss here i mean if it goes back to that uptrend or that uptrend basically aligns with this 200-day moving average, you know, these are going to be the first sector to report in, in I think, mid-July or so. Um, you know, that's the one. I mean, what, it filled in that gap, you know what I mean? And then it made a, a move back to the prior highs. Guys, thought on that guy on that chart really quickly because it, it's a pretty good-looking chart. You and, know, I know Doug's watching and listening. Carter pointed this out as well, but you can go back five years and you still have still have a potential for this massive head and shoulders top Um in J.P. Morgan, nothing's really changed. And you're right. I mean, we did bounce off the lows from the spring, uh, probably correctly so in J.P. Morgan, because they 
obviously we're the winner to all of this, but something I've said for a while, yeah, they're going to win to what's going on with the regionals, but what's happening in the environment is going to be tremendous headwinds for all these banks. Their ability to earn their earnings ability is yeah. going to be diminished for a myriad of different reasons. So the multiple you pay for them should theoretically be lower. And it's still probably, although not at a peak multiple in terms of price to book, it's still expensive. So I look at this and say, yeah, a test of this uptrend line, I think is inevitable, probably comes in around 138-ish. And then we'll see if we can get to the 200-day moving average. But yeah. I, again, I don't think the I don't think the banks look all that attractive in the current environment. That's yeah. just me. You know what time it is, though, Dan? All right, let's do this here. Not only do we get EY from SoFi on Thursday's Unmarket Call, but we also get a preview of John Butter's earnings insight. Hold on, on wait a second. Friday, Stop. You know what time it is. Yep, there it is. Uh, in, in the comments, please. All right, there Hashtag it is. Butters. Anyway, Hashtag sorry. Butters. All right, Set so John up, Butters, yeah. he's got a note coming out tomorrow morning. And what I thought was really interesting about this is that oftentimes we're checking a lot of the work like that Liz just did in her note about valuations and where they are relative to different periods in history and different interest rates, you know, environments and that sort of thing. But right now, and a lot of people push back on this one, um, Liz, and I'd love to get your take on this. He's taking a look at the amount of buy ratings by sell-side analysts in the S&P 500. Now, a lot of folks will tell you, who cares what some analyst rates a stock over there at some big investment bank? Because we know that they get paid by investment banking fees, so they want to have buy ratings on stocks, so they get looks on deals and this and whatever. And then they also have to be able to sell stocks that they are favorable on to their clients and, you know, the like and this and that whatever. I find all this really interesting from just a sentiment standpoint, okay? So just let's go over some of his data right here. Nearly 55% of ratings of the S&P 500 stocks are buy ratings. That percentage is above the five-year average of 54%, so not much there. At the sector level, the energy, 64%, and communication services, 62%, and we know communication services, some of those much-loved technology stocks here, have the highest percentage of buy ratings. Since hitting a bottom, at the end of 20, uh, Feb 2023, the percentage of buy ratings has increased over the past four months. 10 of 11 sectors have seen an increase of buys uh, ratings since the Feb 2023, led by the financials to 53% from 43, 47. So financials have improved a little bit. Liz, thoughts from first a sentiment standpoint, tracking this sort of data, is it important to you? I mean, yes, it's important. Also, let's let's point out that we're talking about tiny little movements in these percentages, right? So it's above average, but it's above average by less than one percentage point. So here's the thing. Analysts are not immune to sentiment. Analysts are not immune to price momentum. And as things come down, they're going to sharpen their pencils and go back and say, okay, is this a falling knife? Did I miss something? And there's always going to be multiple inputs into an analyst's rating. And most of which are them modeling out some kind of financial statement, which would be the fundamentals of the company, the health of the company, the growth expectations, all the assumptions that they're going to put into that and the conversations that they've had with management. Then there's an element that's valuation-based. So as things came down in March, probably started to look more attractive from a valuation perspective. And then you see momentum turn. So over the last four months, it's been tough, especially, I mean, strategists alike, right? It's been tough to look at that momentum and say, nope, nope, still not going well, because it has been going pretty well in the market for a number of sectors. So I don't think that it should be a huge surprise that in a first half of the year where we've seen a ridiculous rally in certain names and a change in sentiment that's market-based, 
that we see an increase in buy ratings. Similarly, that if we have a huge correction that starts in the beginning of July and goes on for a few months, I'm willing to bet that very quickly there will be an increase in sell ratings by fall. So it, nobody's immune to this stuff. And that's what makes this industry and being an investor so interesting. Again, maybe my definition of fun, not anybody else's definition of fun, but the idea that whether I don't care how much you know about it, I don't care how long you've been doing it or how many spreadsheets you've got, you're not immune to the shift in sentiment and the shift in price. That's something that Doug Cass says as well. A lot of people you know, talk about how price has a way of changing opinions and I get it. And, and again, to Elizabeth's point, no, nobody's immune for the anal the that, that sector of um, people specifically I mean, you think about the stress they're under, especially if they've been negative with a market going higher. It's incredible pressure to get on the right side of the boat. The pressure is not equally um, bad as when you're bullish and things are going down. It's just the way that markets work. Uh, but that's it. CG, by the way, if you can pull this up, I want to hire Guy Adami to do my voicemail message. You don't got to hire me. I'll do it. But I'll tell a funny story, Dan, before we get out of here. When I was a freshman in high school, our JV coach was new to Croton. His name was Nick Murphy. I love this man. Actually, there'll be a, a series of chapters, a series of pages in my book about Nick. But when you called his house uh, to find him, his answering machine said, and this is one of my favorite things of all time. This was his uh, voice message. Hey, it's Nick. Make it happen at the tone. <laughs> and I just love that. Make it happen at the tone. I don't know what it means. I didn't know what it meant when I was 17. I don't know what it means when I'm 59, but I'd love it, Dan, Nathan. Back to you. All right. Um, you know, there was one thing I, I just wanted to comment on this, Liz, and, and get your sense. So um, Jim Cramer um, has a uh, investment club, um, and I got an email. I kind of ran to me. I'm not in the investment club, um, but I, I like to hear what Jim is, has to say. I think he usually has a good finger on the pulse of sentiment. So, you know, they've been calling and I, I'm not trying to get the exercise guy. Um, they've been calling these top, these big, don't, don't do it. I got to please don't, don't even say it. Cause it's going right. to piss me off. And I, no, no, I, but, I woke up in a really good mood. You got me that t-shirt with Damone on it. And I'm, I'm telling you it's Thursday. I'm happy. Yeah. We got Yankee baseball tonight. The Mets are six don't games under 500. Like everything's good. You're going to say something and my whole car right in, I'm going to be pissed. So don't do it. I'll get off and you guys can talk about it yourselves, but don't do it because everybody wants to come up with a new great, you know, and I don't want to, I just don't want to fucking hear it. Sorry. <laughs> so okay. the last point was in the movie, only Tesla, Yul Brenner and Nvidia, Steve McQueen. Okay. You did it anyway. That's all I'm saying. All right. So I, I thought that was really interesting. So it was talking about has this group of stocks, have they possibly topped out a little bit? And yesterday was hmm. kind of interesting action today. They're back up. Who knows? I do think it's interesting, guy. The Tesla downgraded by a bull. Adam Jonas. Stanley, yeah. Adam Jonas. It was downgraded yesterday at Barclays and it was down a lot. Um, today it's up one percent. So again, I guess my point is that um, you know the last battle in this market are obviously going to be Nvidia and Tesla, two stocks very near one trillion dollars in market cap. Yul so Brenner survived. Up. Steve McQueen survived. Yeah. And the good-looking kid who was grew up a farmer but joined the Seven, he was the last member of the Magnificent Seven, he survived. But instead of riding off with Steve McQueen and Yul Brenner, he stayed behind and married the local farm girl. Beautiful ending. The other four of the Seven died, specifically Robert Vaughn. Um, I want to say uh, Charles Bronson Charlie and Brown. James Coburn. I can't name the other one, but that's a great effing poll by me. 
nice job. Wait, I gotta Elizabeth make I gotta like, make a shout out real quick. Somebody uh -oh. put in the comments that there's a festival. It's called Summerfest. It starts today in Milwaukee. I believe it's still the largest music festival in the world. You buy a ticket to get in the gate. There's free stages along like a mile stretch on the lakefront. Just music for days. And then there's one where you have to there's one stage where you have to buy like a headliner ticket. But mm. it is the coolest festival. If anybody ever goes to Milwaukee around this time of year, and then you've got fireworks. You can sit on the rocks at the lake and watch the fireworks on July 3rd, which also just happens to be the birthday of myself and Tom Cruise. And <laughs> it's a real it's a wonderful fireworks show. And it just it's like bookended by music and good beer and fried food and it's just it's amazing everybody should go get yourself to milwaukee it starts today it usually runs for like two weeks i think it is somebody, yeah. somebody in the comments just said these guys are so old it's comical radio's dead it's 2023 yeah you know i can't argue with you i'm old but that's it and listen check it if you're out in the milwaukee area yeah go sit on a rock and watch some fun what the hell else is there to do <laughs> Wait, guys, we got tomorrow. Tomorrow, we're going to do a very special market call at 11 a.m. Uh, we're going to talk. Travis McGee. Yeah, uh, he, he's the head derivatives strategist at crypto.com. Travis has been a longtime friend of yours. Um, really, I, I think a really, really smart market mind. I've gotten to know him over the last um, few years, and we're going to talk a little crypto. And crypto's had a heck of a run, but we're also going to talk uh, macro and uh we're gonna we're gonna trade some other stuff here, guy, right? So that's gonna be fun. Travis is an excellent. Yes, he also happens to be the best looking of the three. That picture of me is is freaky as hell. Somebody airbrushed the shit out of that. It probably was Amanda. I'll have to talk to her off <laughs> offline. So we're gonna sit on some rocks. We're gonna watch some fireworks. Drink some shitty beer. Have a ball <laughs> in the state of Wisconsin, and see what the future holds. But that's it for today's market call. I want to thank Elizabeth Young. That's EY from SoFi. The audience always. Amanda, Jacob, Rafus, everybody back at headquarters, as they say. Our sponsor, SoFi. Dan, get your money right all in one app. Of course, facts at Financial Data and Analytics, powered by tomorrow. As Dan said, we'll be back tomorrow with a special drop with Travis McGee. 5,000 people. Yeah.